Fanny Burney was known primarily for two key contributions to history. She was a novelist who wrote several well-received works, the most notable of which was Evelina, published in 1778. The second was one of the most vivid and hair-raising personal accounts of surgery before the practice of anesthesia. On the morning of Monday, September 30th, 1811, Fanny received a letter from one of the leading surgeons in France, Dominique Jean Leray, Napoleon's surgeon-in-chief. The letter told her to prepare for the surgeon and his team's arrival at her home in a few hours' time. She was scheduled for a mastectomy. See, Bernie had developed what the doctors believed was a cancerous tumor in her breast. They determined that the only course of action was to remove the tumor. Bernie was no stranger to pain. She had given birth to a son nearly 18 years earlier and had developed mastitis without any benefit of pain relief. But even that couldn't prepare her for the pain of her mastectomy in 1811. As was customary for that time, the surgeon, Dr. Loray, came to Bernie's home for the operation. He was accompanied by seven men, dressed in black, whose sole purpose on that day was to hold Bernie as still as possible so the surgeon could work. The procedure was to be performed in Bernie's bedroom. She laid down on her bed and closed her eyes. When the dreadful steel was plunged into my breast, cutting through veins, arteries, flesh, nerves, I needed no injunctions not to restrain my cries. I began a scream that lasted unintermittingly during the whole time of the incision. And I almost marvel that it rings not in my ears still. So excruciating was the agony. Bernie survived the ordeal, but it was several months before she could bring herself to write about the operation. And her experience was not all that uncommon in the early 1800s. Yet, surprisingly, the Western world already had a solution to painful surgery. It could be found in one of the most unexpected and hilarious of venues. Throughout Bernie's lifetime, it would not have been unusual to find yourself walking down the street in, let's say, New York City. On any given Saturday, headed toward a theater for an evening show. After paying your 12 and a half cents for your ticket, you would enter the auditorium as it filled with fellow revelers to find your seat. The excitement and anticipation for the show would be obvious and perhaps a little infectious. But you and your fellow theater goers would not be excited for a particular performer or a new musical number. See, you had paid for a ticket to attend a grand exhibition of laughing gas. To be clear, if you were actually in attendance, it would be to have a chance to take part of the use of nitrous oxide for the purposes of entertaining the rest of the audience. Quick move. 
Members would be picked somewhat at random. Larger men were the preferred subjects. To be administered nitrous oxide. Just to the point of euphoria. <laughs> one playbill from an exhibition in 1845 advertised one such show like this. Quote, the effect of the gas is to make those who inhale it either laugh, sing, dance, speak, or fight, etc., etc., according to the leading trait of their character. These exhibitions were common enough in this time period that detailed records of them were even reported in the local newspapers. One such example, artfully curated in the book Ether Day, written by Julie M. Finster, provided some amusing details of one of those exhibitions. The critic for the highbrow New Mirror especially liked the quote young man who coolly undertook a promenade over the close-packed heads of the audience. The critic continued, One silly youth went to and fro, smirking and bowing. Another did a scene of Richard III, and a tall, good-looking man laughed heartily and suddenly stopped and demanded of the audience an indignant rage what they were laughing at. And so, a potential anesthetic in the form of nitrous oxide made one of its very first appearances in the consciousness of the general public. Not as a relief to pain during surgery, but as a form of entertainment. And much of nitrous oxide's success as the star performer on the stage came from the discovery of laughing gas by Humphrey Davy in 1798. 13 years before Bernie's very painful operation. Davy was an English chemist who worked and lived in Bristol, England. And he was just 21 years old when he started experimenting with nitrous oxide. The heads of the Pneumatic Institute where Davy was employed assigned to him the task of finding a suitable and financially beneficial use for the substance. To do this, he started by testing the agent's effects on himself. A delightful feeling of lightness and a faint feeling of numbing. He also mentioned something about an acute sense of hearing during the experience. He even rushed to record his findings in the moment before the effects could wear off. But instead, he wrote a poem. Davy was determined to find a worthwhile use for nitrous oxide. So his self-experimentation continued for several days until it was time to present his research to his bosses. So on Friday, January 11th, 1799, Davy gave a demonstration to the heads of the institute in which he prepared purified nitrous oxide in a silk bag to use on himself. He took four large breaths from the bag and promptly slumped back into his seat. When he came to a few moments later, he reportedly exclaimed, The universe is composed of impressions, ideas, pleasures, 
and pains and pains and pains and pains and pains Davy must have been something of a romantic His bosses were less idealistic however and decided to market nitrous oxide as a wonderful drug for entertainment For nearly 50 years, until an October day in 1846, the potential for pain relief was relegated to nothing more than a joke, laughing gas. I should say one last thing about Humphrey Davy. Throughout his experimentation that led to the popularity of laughing gas, he developed a certain appreciation for the potential of nitrous oxide. He even shared this feeling in his book, Medical Vapors. As nitrous oxide in its intensive operation appears capable of destroying physical pain, it may be used with advantage during surgical operation. Davy was heralded as the founder of laughing gas. He was even knighted in 1812 for his work, which also included the invention of a special miner's lamp. But Davy never pursued the idea of nitrous oxide as an anesthetic to its end conclusion. What he did contribute to the progress toward less painful surgery was proof that gas could be used to alter a person's body and brain. It was an important development that would not lead to true medical change for quite some time. So patients like Fanny Burney would continue to endure the excruciating pain of surgery for a few decades longer, until, finally, relief would come in the form of vaporized ether. This season of The Etherist is about revisiting the dawn of the age of anesthesia in modern medicine. It was the medical discovery that launched 175 years of robust medical advancement in surgery. But there is still so much that is unknown about how anesthetic drugs affect the body and brain. The story of Ether Day is one of origins and innovation, but it is not the full story. The founders of modern anesthesia knew that ether gas worked and how to use it effectively enough, but they were missing a depth of knowledge about this anesthetic, information that we know so much more about now, thanks to decades of research and scientific breakthroughs, ideas about the human brain that are still being uncovered. So this season of The Etherist, we are going to revisit the story of Ether Day and beyond, and explain how recent research has shed new light on the effects of ether chloroform, and many other anesthetic innovations of the past. We will explore how far we've come and how far we have left to go. Coming this Ether Day, Anesthesiology News presents The Etherist, Season 3, Ether Day Revisited. Thank you for listening. And please subscribe or follow the Anesthesiology News Presents channel to hear future episodes of The Etherist coming this Ether Day. And if you really like what you've heard so far, share us with one of your colleagues too. We would really appreciate it.
This season of the Etheris was created by me, Michael Depoe Wilson, along with James Pruden, our editorial director. It was edited by Ken Christensen. The rest of the music comes from Blue Dot Studios. A special thank you to our wonderful voice actors, Christine Resto, Richard Tordo, James Pruden, and Ken Christensen. The rest of our team includes Justin Kaback, Blake Dennis, Martin Barbieri, Kwang Yi Chung, Sophia Lee, Betty Zong, Kristen Janicone, Sam Steinfeld, and Lucia Scanlon, who all contributed greatly to the making of this season of The Etherist. And a special thanks to our sponsors, Massimo and Medtronic. Thanks for listening.